0: Open up your Bibles to John 16. We previously had been talking about a new way for a new day. This was a teaching that Jesus presented to his disciples like, you know, a day or two before he died. He just started teaching what to do after he left and how life would be, what they would face, how to pray differently at that time than while he was here. And he just went, he went after it. And I mean, we don't find him teaching like this about the future, you know, what to do in his absence. There's only little bits. And most of the time when we hear this, we hear about Mark 16 going to all the world, you know, and preach the gospel or Matthew 28, make disciples and things like that. But here, John 13 The whole chapter, John 14, 15, 16, and technically into 17, he was teaching us how to live today, the day we live, until he returns. And so it's interesting to me that we should maybe then give some thought, some idea. Look at this. I mean, he didn't teach the disciples about the Holy Spirit. At least it's not written During the years he was on the earth, he didn't go into extensive teaching until the day before he gets arrested. And then we have John 16, where he just goes through what the Holy Spirit would do to help us to minister to the lost in the sense of convicting people, what he would do to comfort us, teach us, direct us, guide us, help us in ministry. I mean, he just goes through a list of different things because he wanted us to be prepared in his absence. And so in John 16, we're about to look at something. Earlier on, you know, when I say earlier, a day before maybe or so in his teaching, he talked about having sorrow. You're going to be sorrowful. I'm leaving. You're going to have sorrow. There was going to be some sorrow because they were all going to watch him die. But this time when he brings it up, he adds something to it that is not only for them, but for every believer. And so in John 16, it says this, therefore, you now have sorrow. Why? Because he kept telling them, I'm leaving. This is it. And they're about to watch him die, suffer, and be scattered. It says, therefore, you now have sorrow. But, wow, well, I'm glad he didn't say, you have sorrow, good luck. He said, but... I will see you again. In other words, you're gonna have sorrow, you're gonna watch me die, but then you're gonna see me right after. I don't think they caught this. But he said, I'll see you again, and then your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Well, that's pretty good news. Hey guys, listen, I've been telling you, you're gonna sorrow, you're gonna sorrow, you're gonna sorrow. But when you see me again, and they knew, because he kept telling them, I'm going to see you, then I'm going to be caught up into heaven, and that's where I'm going to be. But he said, one thing that is not going to change is he said, you're going to have joy, and nobody will be able to take this joy away from you. He wasn't talking about an earthly joy. He wasn't talking about a natural joy, like when Jesus appeared to him. You know, all of a sudden, he said, here I am, and they're like, great. And he's all, let me tell you this joke. You ever heard the one about the three guys? And and then they're all, that's such a good one. And he's all, now that joy you're going to have. This wasn't a joy because they heard some funny joke. This was an inward, self-replicating joy that would just be there, and it had to do with the fact that they could now have eternal life. And when they got this eternal life, they got joy. They came into a total different relationship with God this day. Because remember, as soon as he raised, he saw him again. It said he breathed into them the Holy Spirit. Then he said, now wait till you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Something completely different. One, they got the new life he paid for. Two, they waited to get filled to overflowing with the Spirit. They got joy. And they had joy. Their days of being blue were over. That was it. But the issue comes down to this. He said, when you see me again, you'll get joy. And nobody will be able to take it from you. He introduced himself after he was raised as the risen one, the savior of the world. They got new life. When they got that new life, they got joy. I know this is true about anybody who gives their life to the Lord. They get joy. It's there. It's not like, oh, you know, when I got saved, I just fell on the floor and just started laughing. I can't help myself. And everywhere I went, I was laughing. No, but there was something in me when that life came from Jesus that brought a joy I did not have. And it wasn't like I just sat and all the time I was just busting out laughing. But there is a spiritual joy inside. And it's interesting. He said, When you see me, 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 me, You'll get joy, your heart will rejoice, and then nobody will be able to take this. Somebody said, well, man, if I could only see him, I could have that joy too. And what people don't realize is Jesus introduced a religious man to this kind of thought of truly seeing him, truly seeing the kingdom, and truly seeing spiritual things. So go back to John, the third chapter. A religious person came to him one night, had some questions for him. He wasn't trying to entrap Jesus. Some of the religious people, they didn't care about the truth. They didn't want to know the truth. They basically just wanted to entrap him. And because why? Because Jesus was intruding in their religious system where they had rulership. And they didn't like the idea of losing it. The problem was, they were locking God out. Jesus even said, you have taken the key of knowledge from the people, talking to the religious people. What's a key? It opens up the door. And he said, you have not entered in, now you're taking the key of knowledge from them, and they're not entering in. So what was the key? Knowledge. And he said, you're not even properly telling them, you're not going in, you're not entering in, they're not entering in. But he didn't always talk like that to some religious people. Some wanted to enter in, some wanted to know. And here in John 3, I was only going to read one verse, but I think I'll start in the first verse and read down to the verse I was going to read, because there is much there. This was a different approach from a different religious leader. He said, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were one of the main religious leaders of their day, a type of them. There were different groups, and one of the groups were Sadducees, and they kind of held to a certain belief, and Pharisees, and then there was others. And the Pharisees believed there would be a resurrection. The Sadducees believed in God, but didn't believe there would be a resurrection. Well, he's of this group of the Pharisees. And it says, and there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, or you could say a teacher of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He he didn't do this publicly. He got a private meeting. Because you, technically, he might have got the boot. You know what I mean by that? Somebody said, oh, I got boots for Christmas. No, I'm not talking about that. I mean, he would have got kicked out of the group of the Pharisees. And so he said, he went there by night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, even the ones that were fighting it, he said, we, me and them, we know that you are, A, not a prophet, but he was. Not the Savior, but he was. So the first thing he said, he said, you are a teacher. Let that sink in. You know, I have a little plant on my windowsill. And when I water it, you can only put a little bit of water in it and you have to get the dirt a little wet, and then it just has to sink in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just put a little bit of water there, and it sinks in. And if you put a bunch, only a little soaks in and the rest runs out. There's two little holes, and then I'm cleaning up the counter. He's a teacher. I'm letting that sink in. Teacher. What's he talking to Jesus about? You are a teacher. Teacher. And we know you're a teacher from God. You are a teacher from God. Let that sink in. Because so many times people change the rest of what he said, like Jesus was elusive. Jesus was not elusive. He actually said, you're a teacher from God. We know it. Ready? Aim, let's read on. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now he's going to endorse why they have come to believe he's a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Teacher, we believe it because we see the things that occur knowing God's backing you up. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one, an individual, is born again. You know, the disciples used that term after Jesus died and rose again. It literally meant They got spiritually reborn. And we know the way that occurs, according to the Bible, is somebody calls on the name of Jesus, and they get what's called a new birth. In other words, it's not an outward birth. It's not a mental rebirth. It's a spiritual new birth. Inwardly, people get the life of God, become brand new in Christ. And so he said, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now remember the thought of a teacher. And we're going to come back to this. Then Nicodemus answered again and said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered this question. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water or natural birth, it's not talking about water baptism, and the Spirit, he's answering his question, he cannot notice this phrase, enter the kingdom of God. He said something totally different each time he answered a question, actually. The first one was, you are a teacher. He said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. The next time, he said, you won't enter the kingdom, answering a different question. The first statement, he said, you're a teacher. You know that Greek word there, see, literally means perceive, grasp to get a hold of or to know the things of the kingdom? Uh, Basically, Jesus said this, unless you get born again, you're not going to really perceive what I'm teaching. You're not going to perceive the things of the kingdom of God. You're not going to inwardly be able to grasp them. They will not be a reality to you like they should be unless you're born again. Isn't it interesting? He said Peter, who traveled with Jesus... Using these same terms in 1 Peter 1.23, he said, we're born again of the Word of God when we receive. Then right after he said, newborn babes, get a craving for the Word of God. Why? Because what they didn't crave before, they got made new. They have a new appetite for spiritual things, and they crave it. They can know it. They can now perceive it. I know with me, when I committed my life to the Lord, the Bible became a different book. I used to read it and think, I don't get it. After I gave my life to the Lord, I'm like, oh, look at this. Have you ever seen such a thing? Only thing that changed was I received Jesus and the book opened up. Now, I don't mean it opened up. I had it open because I was trying to figure it out. No, when I got saved, all of a sudden I could see. I could see. I saw Jesus like I never saw him. Not with my physical eyes. I perceived. I grasped. I knew. Jesus was answering the question of, you're a teacher. You want to know how you can get what I teach? Get born again. No wonder the Bible. We read this in John 16 earlier. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach the believer the truth. But he said he'll convict the world of their sin and need to receive Jesus. In other words, people are not going to know all the truths of the word of God until they get born again. Then the door is open. They'll see and perceive. After we get saved, after a person gives their life to the Lord, a lost person, They'll get joy. Why? They'll see him like they never saw him before. The early disciples, he said, when you guys see me, your heart will rejoice. Why is it we come to church and we're like, man, I'm excited. <laughs> when I left today, it was so good. Well, did you see Jesus? Did he walk up on the platform? Did he come in here and go, hey, guys, I'm here? But somebody's like, no, man, he's real. He's real. I see him, not with these eyes, I just see him. I grasp, I realize, I know him personally. So when the world says, well, how do you know he's real? Give your life to him, trust him, you'll find out how real he is. And, and not only that, when you find out, you'll get his eternal life when you call on him, it will open up things. And so when he talked about you will see me and nobody will steal your joy, one of the attributes of this new life is a inward joy that influences your emotions. It does not come from your emotions. Big difference. Because we can go get entertainment. We were talking about the Christmas party we had, you know, before the holidays. Um, And we said, you know, what could we do that would be cool next year? Maybe a little bit different. And you know, I thought, well, what about a Christian comedian? You know, there's some good ones out there. Said, well, obviously that didn't go over well. <clears throat> I'm not taking votes. I said, well, what about a magician? You know, a magician. Maybe we'll pray. Everybody's all spiritual. There's a walk. Uh, you know, what about a magician? Get a magician in there. You know, these are all things that work with our emotions. You know, somebody's like, oh, you're going to bring a magician it's called sleight of hand. It's not like they're conjuring spirits. It's just, it's not, magic's not real. Jesus is real. I'm, I'm about to blow one over here. Santa's not even real. People, I, I need the comfort of the Holy Spirit right now. I didn't say it so the kids could hear, but I'm just saying. but those things are just outward to affect our emotions, you know, and that. This is something that comes from the inside out. You know, when when we grew up in Southern California, you know, cars were cool and everything. People had cars, and people have cars here, too, I noticed. Somebody's <laughs> like, we have cars here, too. But like, you know, like, old Mustangs and Camaros and Chevelles and stuff like that and, and different kinds of cars. And, and I remember they put gravel down on our street one day and it had all these signs, be careful driving. So my brother had a car, it was jacked up, big tires, you know. So he goes to do a U-turn and he's going to show off and, and he has a, jumped right up on the curb, knocked a fire hydrant off the thing. <laughs> People came from the street behind, walked around. So we could see it over there, just flying up in the air. I mean, it just, it, that water was there the whole time. All somebody had to do is knock that off. Now, that's not what we want to do. You know, because when you're little, back then, you were allowed to. Now, they'd probably arrest a seven-year-old. You could crack the fire hydrant, and let it spray out into the street on a hot day. But this was not that. It was straight up in the air. And I remember he's just like, great. You know, he's a teenager, and then... Somebody's like, well, stand there. We'll get a picture. Remember the, and go to the photo mat and develop it. It's a little square. And he's like, great. But here's the thing. When somebody gets born again, there is that in them. It didn't leave. He said, it will be with you forever. Eternal life is there and joy. Somebody said, if it's there, I ain't seeing it lately. It is There. And so we can perceive Jesus. We can perceive these truths. Notice this in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter. Philip is uh, one of the early ministers in the church. He goes down to the city of Samaria. One of the first times we see one of these people that are not one of the apostles go out and preach to a city and present the gospel to them, of Jesus, the good news. And it says in verse, we'll start in verse 5, Acts 8, 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded or gave attention to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. The city gave their lives to the Lord, and then joy came in the city. We as a society have a lot of stuff wrong in our thinking. We think, well, what we need to do is make these people moral and go out and tell them, quit doing this. No, what they need is Jesus. And if we want to change the temperature of the community and the people around us, we have to introduce them or bring them here so they can hear the gospel, get them in this atmosphere so they can hear, so God can work. And he can do it out there too through you. But I'm just saying you could bring them and God can work in them. They can come to know him and then they could get to know Jesus. They would get joy. They would leave and it would change the temperature of their surroundings. You know what I mean by that? I mean, if you want your water to be cold, you put an ice cube in it. Something that, some other water that came under an influence, so much so that it's changed into ice. And so we have come under an influence. We've received the Lord. We got new life. We've got this. We can go back and share. And technically, that's one of the priorities of life. And here, this whole city, the atmosphere changed. Could you imagine you were there one week visiting family and you left and you came back and everybody maybe everybody was mean before? We know if you read the context, they practice sorcery there. They were bewitched. They were were superstitious. They were afraid of this one sorcerer who was there. He was kind of controlling the bunch. After this, when they got joy and found out about the name of Jesus, he lost his control. And they're just a joyful town. Could you imagine what happened here? How quick... The surroundings in the city can change when people start sharing. How quick the atmosphere can change in a whole city if people will just rise up to do. And it's not going to happen because we tell them, be moral. Be a better person. It's when they get to know Jesus, they'll get life, they'll get joy, and oh my, that whole atmosphere of the city will change. I remember uh, during the riots, uh, you know, when Rodney King, if you remember that, in, in California, living there, I remember when the riots broke out and they sent the National Guard in, you couldn't even drive on the freeways, and if you got into the areas on the freeway, you could not get on or off it. They would force you through all those areas. Every exit was closed. One thing I remember was talking to people because we lived in an outlying area and they were closing restaurants like Denny's. And I remember the Denny's by us and the 7-Eleven, which is like Quick Trip or whatever, or Circle K. and They were like, we haven't locked the doors in so many years. They had to bring locksmiths in. They didn't even know where the keys were to lock them because they were closing at night because it was they were just so concerned but here's what's wild you drive around and you talk to people and people who didn't believe in god or maybe weren't walking with god knew god or knew of him they're like you can feel this and sense this in the atmosphere there is something wicked you could tell like you drove into this one town near us called pomona and it was even worse and I remember driving in there and just seeing people, and they'd stare at you like with a mean scowl. It was like they were succumbing to this that was in the atmosphere. And they didn't even know it was spiritual by nature, and you could sense it all over Southern California. I wonder what this city was like. Hey, we didn't lock the door tonight. I don't worry about it. There was such... There, it was such a negative thing. Spiritual things are real. When this joy came into this city and the witchcraft went out the door, the fortune tellers stopped being able to do their deal, and they didn't have prominence anymore, wouldn't it be nice to have a stronger church atmosphere, stronger God atmosphere in your home, and then at work and everywhere else? That's our responsibility. We reach people, it'll change the whole atmosphere. Period. They did it. It worked. And then the whole town was depressed when they learned about Jesus. You would think that's what by what society feeds people. Oh, enough of this Jesus stuff. No. Getting Jesus will give them all they want. He won't rob them. He'll enhance life. Notice this in 1 John We'll look at these scriptures. Maybe we'll close here. 1 John, the first chapter. This is the same John that we wrote about or read about where Jesus said, when you see me, and we can't physically see him, but we can perceive and know him personally. We get the same joy they had. And he said, nobody will take it from you. Your heart will rejoice. Have you as a Christian ever noticed that there are certain things that you do that promote the betterment of your walk with God or kind of muzzle it. Anybody notice that? I didn't know that there are definite things that could and definite things that would help and other things that are maybe more neutral. I didn't realize this, but when I first got saved, I used to watch scary movies all the time. And I don't mean like, you know, once a month or once a week. I mean, let's watch a scary movie. Today. How about tomorrow? Sounds good. How about the next day? Great. How about get two? It's Friday night. Oh, there's a new scary movie. Let's go to the movie. And just horror flicks after horror flicks. They don't promote joy. (laughs) Just trying to... Give you the obvious here. Some of you are like, Well, I knew that. Well, then quit watching them. And uh, and you know, you go out walking around and you're like afraid to walk by a bush, you're like, Oh, a bush. <laughs> like somebody's really gonna jump out with a chainsaw. But now so many people have been watching them, they might. Because there's crazy people. But we can have joy, and if you walk in joy, according to the Bible, you're actually going to begin to walk in God's strength. So technically, you have joy, and you have the potential for strength, but the way to access it is get saved, you get it. But what about after? We all know there's times, you know, just, just by coming to church, just that simple act of discipline, doesn't it affect your joy to a degree? And not that you, like, like I said, roll around on the floor and you're laughing. But it's almost like, man, it can lift heaviness. Well, where did that heaviness come from? Where was that allowed in? If some things promote and some things hinder, we ought to know what they are. Because he said, this joy you can have, and it will not leave you, so it'll be with you. So just like that fire hydrant, the water was there the whole time. It needed to be activated. So he activated it. With his car. You with me? What's well, wild, they had just redone the street and put the sand down, which made it just wonderful to do burnouts and spin out. You know how they have these little metal caps that go, and they have a big collar that goes in the ground, and then they're in front of the fire hydrant, and then you pull that up, and then they turn. If the fire hydrant breaks, you turn that, and it shuts off the fire hydrant. Well, these nice guys that did the street just covered them all. That's awesome. So it was flowing for a while as they're out there chiseling, trying to find where is that? And I'll tell you what, I'd rather have something flowing that's from God out of the inside of me than have it all bottled up. And so John actually taught a key to keeping this in motion for Christians. First John one, one, way in the back of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation is a single chapter, Jude, and then a couple, you know, second and third John. But first John one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Well, we know from John's teaching right now, he's talking about Jesus. Remember? John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He existed from the beginning. Not only did he pre-exist, but then we got to handle him. We know John laid on him. Onto his shoulder, onto him. And they said, hey, ask Jesus this. And because he was leaning over on him, he asked him a question. He said, listen, from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen. And we bear witness, and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. We've seen Jesus. So have we, if we're saved. Though we've seen Him too. Just not with our physical eyes, but we perceive Him. We have a real relationship with Him. And notice this, He said, He was manifest to us, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship. Notice that word, fellowship. Mm -hmm. If you're a member of this church, and uh, you are here, and you talk to people, and we call that fellowship, the interaction. But if you don't ever come... And you meet somebody on the street, or it's months, you know. And then they're like, hey, do you know the Lord? Yeah, I go, I go to church. I know the Lord. And they're like, oh, well, where do you go to church? You go, uh, Christ of the Nation's church. Not that anybody would be like this here. And, uh, but then you think, well, I haven't been there in a long time. Well, you have relationship with us for whatever reason for a couple months you haven't been fellowshipping with us. So when a person gets saved, they come into a relationship with God. But notice the term fellowship. He said, that which we have seen, we've heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. After you're saved... You need to fellowship with God. You need to fellowship with God's stuff. And when you fellowship with God, he'll deal with you about what not to fellowship with. You know, Paul, in the New Testament, God used him to write the book of Corinthians. He said to the Christians, I would that you did not fellowship with demons. Is that possible? (laughs) Well, I used to watch scary movies all the time. And after I got saved, I remember going back to the movie, this is what I was going to say, and something inside of me is like, yuck, you don't need to watch this. You don't need to see this. You need to stop this. Not a voice. The same way I knew the Lord, I perceived, grasped, realized how real he was way deep down inside. Way deep down inside, I remember sitting there in that movie going, and it was right after I got saved. It was kind of like, okay, I'll go back and do the same thing I did. I was like, ooh, I should not be here. This is not good. And the person that I was with, I'd look at them, and they were focused on the screen. So I'd turn and focus on the screen. I didn't realize, because they had just given their life to the Lord, too, that they were looking at me. And they'd say, well, he's looking at the screen. Finally, our eyes met, and we are like, ugh. I remember getting in the car and leaving. Somebody said, What do you mean, fellowship? Interacting. And there's some things you interact with you can't help because it's part of society. But this we invited. I remember getting in the car going, Oh, that was horrible. Why wasn't it horrible before I got saved? That ought to tell you something. I'm like, This is so wrong. And it was like, yuck, because I'm fellowshipping. I'm interacting. I'm feeding on this. I'm spending time with it. And it was like just shoveling dirt spiritually. I remember we were praying. I'm like, I need to pray. I'd never been bold about praying in front of anybody till right then. I hadn't been saved long, but I'm like, I need to pray. And they're like, me too. We just started praying, and then we fellowship with the Lord. It seemed like that dissipated. But why waste your time allowing stuff on to drive it off? Let it back in, drive it away. Why not just get stronger and fellowship with what promotes joy? I wasn't leaving going, wow, you sense the joy of the Lord like me? This is like a lot of life right now. I was thinking, this is so the opposite of fellowshipping with God and being in church and doing the thing of God that I'm starting to learn about. I got to get out of here. This is ridiculous. I never went back. Notices. These things, verse 4, we write to you so that your joy may run out. No, may, notice, remain full. Remain fellowship and walking with the Lord after you come into relationship with Him, responding to Him, getting around His things, doing His stuff, will promote this joy to be full in your life or to overflow. Paul said it this way in Acts 20, 24, He said, I've been able to live out my whole life and finish what God wanted me to do because I didn't just live unto myself my own way. He said, therefore, I have finished the course that God had for me with joy. I don't want to finish God's course without joy. I finished the race. I had no oil in my engine. My engine seized right at the end, but I made it. You with me? God wants you to travel this life, and that's why he wrote this right before he left, because they could not have this joy in them until they got saved. So he said, listen, this is very important. If you want strength, because they knew the Scriptures, the joy of the Lord is your strength, you're going to be able to get this in you, and you're going to be able to maintain it your whole life. If you'll just walk with me, serve me, make me a priority in your life, don't allow things in that will squelch it, and you'll have his divine strength and joy. Guys, go for it. That's what he was saying. He said, you'll see me, you'll perceive me. The same way we perceive him, we'll perceive joy, strength. But there are things we have to do to cooperate with it. Hey, if we have an all-prayer night, you know, come. Why? Well, when we pray, God will do things, but then it'll also promote something in you, your fellowship with him. Now, I'm not saying that to promote, like, next Thursday we're having a prayer night. We don't have one scheduled. But I'm just saying, do things that promote this, that promote fellowship with God. You know, when you're going through a tough time and you're thinking, I don't feel like going to church, go to church. Go to church, because at least... You might not be going, I'm praying right now, but you just come and engage and God will be able to get things into your life. It's just something he set up. And that being said, then that's where I need to go. I'll tell you what, there's times when I was not the assistant pastor. I was not the pastor and in a tough time. And I thought, I'm just going to church. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I came. I didn't feel like going But this was exactly what I needed. You with me?